This is episode 58 of the Get In My Garden podcast. We are back with Wyatt Bryson of Jewels of the Forest, makers of mushroom jerky. He is also an educator and researcher via his company, Mycolab Solutions, and has over 15,000 subscribers on his YouTube station where he shares methods and strategies for growing mushrooms. He updates us on his work and current research, such as CO2 usage and mushroom scents and flavors, hundreds of different compounds in mushrooms with many applications in food and science. Wyatt talks about the critical mass of the mushroom business for food, supplements, and the new trends in many other industries, getting deeper into the science of mushrooms and the innovation and research that is starting to happen right now. Also, Wyatt shares the basics of getting going in the hobby of mushroom growing, a journey through the equipment and options for those just getting started, basically Mushroom Growing 101, some clever ideas to get started that cost a lot less money than you'd think, and the pros and cons of the various options. Wyatt shares the easiest and most efficient mushrooms to grow, the different substrates, how to get a few flushes out of the mushroom grow, and how to pick the right species, manage temperature, and avoid contamination issues. Follow the podcast on Instagram at GetInMyGarden, and go to the website GetInMyGarden.com to sign up for the very special and still non-existent newsletter, where I will eventually share special content and freebies from my guests. Been looking at some really cool science stuff lately. So, well, for the record, according to Spotify, you are the most downloaded of all episodes. Yeah, so people are like totally interested in mushrooms. Well, I'd love to know more about what you're doing with your business. I know you're you were ramping that up last time we talked, and you were going to lots of different shows. So you could probably tell people about your own business and what other businesses exist right now. Okay, Jewels of the Forest has been uh, doing some pretty cool stuff. Uh, We just did the Marin Mushroom Festival had a great time there. It was the second year that uh, that was put on. Um, It was in Mill Valley in Northern California. And then um, today I'm actually going to be setting up uh, for a three-day mushroom camp out called Soma Camp. And Soma is the Sonoma County Mycology Association. And this is uh, an event that we do every year. This will be our fourth year having a booth there. And it's a three-day campout with a lot of different workshops and talks and uh, forays, all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, I actually try to film a lot of the talks when we go there. So I'm kind of getting some you know, camera stuff together and going to go set up the booth today. And it starts uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday they have a little thing going on. So actually on That's awesome. Yeah, on our YouTube channel I have a mushroom dye class that I recorded a couple of years ago and I have a bunch of videos from both that and like two Tully Ride uh, mushroom festivals that I haven't really like edited or done anything with yet. So Gotcha. And I forgot I th- so your YouTube station is mainly about teaching people how to grow mushrooms. Right? Um yeah, and then also, you know, I put these talks up and stuff too. So it's like it's great because some of these people, I mean, I have a, a panel, I put a little portion of it up there with uh, Gary Linkoff and uh, Dennis McKenna and uh, um, some other just amazing people. And, you know, Gary's not with us anymore. And mm-hmm. great to document and record these really interesting and uh, amazing people that have really pioneered all different aspects of, of mushrooms and psychedelics. And yeah. For sure. So what have you learned recently or what is the most recent panel that they're doing over there? So I'll look up the uh, schedule right now, but um, some other stuff I'm kind of looking into, this is more on the Mycolab Solutions side, which is kind of our mushroom education and 
and science part. Uh, I've been looking into supercritical CO2 extraction methods for different medicinal compounds in mushrooms and then also uh, mushroom alcohols uh, like scents um, and flavorings. What would those be used for? For different food flavorings. You can, you know, for scents. Uh, Let's see, there's a paper called Correlating Supercritical Fluid Extraction Parameters with Volatile Compounds from Finnish Wild Mushrooms. And uh, they're using uh, chanterelles. Interesting. I think a lot of people would be like, whoa, what does that smell like? Yeah, exactly. Um, So like there's the main compounds for these volatile, you know, hundreds of uh, different compounds, but uh, octanol is is one of the main ones. And um, it's uh, mushroom alcohol. And it's a chemical that attracts insects and mosquitoes. Um, it's also contained in human breath and sweat. And uh, actually, it says deep work, they thought, by uh, blocking the insect's uh, octanal odorant receptors, which is kind of Wild. Yeah, I was looking at that. And then uh, different extractions uh, for Ganoderma, for uh, uh, reishi mushroom. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's just some really cool stuff you know going on with that, which is... Uh, I really am interested in that and I've uh, been working with this other kind of scientist guy who fabricates machines and he actually has a patent on a uh, a capsulator machine and encapsulates liquids, huh. little micro balls. So, you know, that's kind of some uh, other stuff we're doing there because I, I do have access to a CO2 extraction system and uh-huh. kind of seeing uh, if we can, you know, do some more like sciencey stuff and, and do some setup. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, it's a genre that is like scooping up geeks left and right, you know, just in general, the excitement around mushrooms and fungi and technology. But I also think that right now we're hitting critical mass because everywhere I go, like at the grocery store, they have uh, mushroom products now visible. Yeah, it's really, uh, it, it's really hitting. I mean, let's see, there's, I've been doing more research on just like the food side as well. And I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, clean meat and uh, is really big. And uh, there's uh, Ecovative is uh, developing a, a like a mycelium scaffolding um, that wow. I think could be used uh, to grow like cellular meat in the lab. Uh-huh. And then just like the trends, I think, uh, what was it? Washington Post or something um, said that mushrooms were going to be like one of the huge, you know, new the Huffington Post declared mushrooms the next big vegetable. And I see it in all these uh, produce and like industry, food industry magazines, you know, absolutely, mushrooms are going to be a big one. And that's why it's kind of interesting looking into some of these, you know, different aspects of it. Like not just like using the mushroom for food, but like myceliated foods mm-hmm. had for a long idea, like an actual like live mycelium food product, huh. kind of looking into some stuff about that. Would that be something that you have in your kitchen and you just kind of harvest off of it and it just keeps going kind of? More, it would be like a certain grains and then the mycelium's growing off of it and you, you can flavor it and it, we're kind of looking. Oh, I see. More like a living food thing. Yeah, like a living raw food. So, you know, it can actually, you know, be in a container with enough, you know, oxygen in there for it to survive for a while. Because once, uh, you know, it starts running out of oxygen, it, it doesn't kill it right away. It really slows down its growth. Uh-huh. The mycelium. Yeah. Also, you know, if you have it in like a chilled area in the store, it can be, uh, you know, it will slow the growth down too. So it'll use less oxygen in the little container. And, you know, the main thing with that is like preserving shelf life and keeping it alive. So, you know, there's some other 
kind of cool organizations and stuff looking into this kind of technology. And I think we're going to see, you know, like you said, you're seeing all these new mushroom products. I think we're going to start seeing some cool stuff like that. Wow. That's awesome. I, I mean, it's obviously happening. And I also think that people are burned out or concerned about all the other protein options that have existed, at least in the natural food industry. I think there's a backlash now, like people really don't want soy. They don't want a lot of different things, or at least, you know, they're concerned about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mushrooms are, can be growing very sustainably and they're really high in, in, in protein content as well as other uh, vitamins and nutrients that you, you can't really get from uh, plants and stuff like vitamin D. Yeah. Well, so you're helping people with your Michelab solutions. I mean, it sounds like you're getting very deep into the you know, science of it all. But do you also help people who are just starting out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm about to do uh, like a beginner mushroom growing class on the 25th here. And it's just a basic kind of introduction to like the growth cycle of mushrooms, like what it, you know, my, what mycelium is versus the actual fruiting body of the mushroom. Mm -hmm. And then like different substrates. And um, one of the main things, and when I was learning is like, okay, well, that's cool and all, but how do I actually do it? Like, you know, where do I get the equipment? Like, where do I get this stuff? So I go over a lot of that, like, you know, okay, you, the best place to find pots and burners is, you know, Amazon or eBay. And you want to get the ones that are sturdy enough that you could put like a 55 gallon drum if you're ever going to scale up, you know, and do larger amounts. And uh, it basically covers oyster mushrooms and a little bit of shiitake. That's awesome. And I've been doing a, a bunch of private lessons up in the lab, like kind of getting people under the flow hood and, and doing transfers, working and making agar, working with uh, uh, the mycelium and making spawn. So, you know, the YouTube is, is such a great place to start out to find uh, like the basic ways to, to do it. Yeah. I first started out watching like Roger Rabbit's like Let's Grow Mushroom series. Cool. I haven't seen that. Yeah, that's an excellent one. It's really thorough and e, there's a lot of different sections and it kind of takes you all the way through from starting out, you know, with a spore syringe or something and then going mm -hmm. you know, all the way to fruiting. So that's a, a great video series. Cool. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, I've been really wanting to get into or start making some more videos, um, you know, of how to, because I haven't really done that for a, a while. Yeah getting back up in the lab and just starting to do more work up there. I uh, have a couple people that are kind of really helping me out on that side a bit more and are really interested in it. So that really helps out too, because, you know, it's, it's nice to have some of the processes are, you know, a two person job at, at least. So. Definitely. Plus anything, I mean, anything to do by yourself is just very difficult, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, all those videos that I have, like of me making all that, I was shooting myself, like, you know, with a, on the iPhone and stuff. And, oh my God. You know, now I have a nice like gimbal, you know, like a stabilizer and, and some better equipment. And, That's awesome. Yeah. What were the goals of your YouTube station? I mean, you're, you're just one of those people that loves to teach people, right? Yeah. I just like sharing the information, you know, um, what, what I, my kind of motivation was and what I was thinking was like, okay, well, when I was learning all this stuff, you know, it's, it's, you got to bounce around to, you know, get a real thorough understanding. I thought, okay, well, what's the simplest way like to teach and, and kind of show people how they can do this on their own. I kind of, I try to keep that like simplicity and I think about like, hey, what if you're explaining something that 
like to someone that has no concept of what's going on. So how, how do you do that? How do you put it in a way? Yeah. And I get a lot of comments from people like, I mean, you know, that are like, wow, this is really good. Like you know, I, I tried your method and, and it worked really good for me. You know, um, I started out with like monotubs growing in a monotub and stuff, which is not really mm-hmm. like for gourmet mushrooms as much. So, cause I knew that's like what people wanted to see. I saw that was really, you know, trending and stuff. And, and that actually has really helped my YouTube channel. I just broke like 15,000 followers, which is kind of cool. That's amazing. So, that's great. Yeah. And then now I, I kind of focus more on like filming these talks and workshops at these events because, you know, if, if you can't go to one of these events, then, you know, there's only a limited amount of people that go to them or, or can attend. So being able to put that information out there um, on YouTube where people can, you know, digest it and see it is, is really cool. And some of these talks that's perfect. are amazing. Perfect. Cause you get them in with your how to videos. And then there are so many people, probably millions of Americans right now who are literally like trying to figure out, or at least, you know, investigating how, the idea of growing them. So then they are exposed to all those amazing talks. Yeah. And I suggest people to start if, you know, if you, you want to learn how to grow mushrooms and you want to start out and just oyster mushrooms are, are very easy to grow and you're not going to need a lot of weird equipment or, you know, laborious stuff. I mean, it's, you grow it basically on straw or hay and Uh there's, you know, multiple other uh, substrates that you can use. You know, someone like in the city might uh, get like straw pellets. So you can get those a lot easier than like getting a whole bale of hay. So there's a lot of ways to do it dependent on like what is available to you in your region and stuff. So places where they have a lot of uh, crops, like grain crops, you know, it's easier to get that kind of waste material if it's in your area, go mm-hmm. to the local farm, or if you're in the city, you get these straw pellets or, you know, like uh, wood pellets and stuff for, for uh, stoves, like the pellet stoves. Oh yeah. And those are great because you just soak them, you know, hydrate them, and then you're going to need to sterilize it. And you do that in a simple pressure cooker, you know, and I always look for pressure cookers on um, Craigslist or, you know, used in your local area because, you know, the bigger ones can get quite expensive brand new. And then some other basic equipment are just like a large pot and a burner. And so I suggest buying like one of those deep fried turkey kits off Amazon. Smart. You know, there's a good one for like 70 bucks. And then you have, I think it's at least a five or seven gallon pot. And it also comes with a strainer. And then you have the propane burner kit, you know, so those work really great. That's awesome. I mean, that's, I mean, for hobbies and everybody's got to have a hobby. So I think this is like a hobby for some people. And that's kind of, you know, as far as hobbies go, not that expensive, but it's still, you know, small investment. Yeah, it is a small investment. Like with anything, you're going to have to put in a little time and a little energy and stuff. And it's easy enough to try it out on a smaller scale and see if you really enjoy doing it. And then you can go uh, wherever from there. And if you're doing it in your home and I suggest buying these like mini greenhouses and uh, they're great. You can get them on Amazon and they're delivered right to your place. And basically it's just like a clear tent and then it comes with a a, like plastic shelving on the inside. Uh Basically it will keep a high humidity. I get like a, just a seed mat, which is like a heat mat for uh, growing uh, starter seeds and stuff. 
and uh, uh-huh. throw that in there or one of those um, ribbed oil heaters. And I suggest using something that's really like a passive heating, A, because you're going to not have risk of, of catching anything on fire, obviously. And uh, you want it to kind of you know maintain a, a real heat and not fluctuate high up and down. And so if you're using like a, a heater with an element that uh, gets hot, you know, those are A, can start a fire and B, they, uh, you know, they get hot really quick and then turn off and then they'll turn back on. So I suggest using something like that to heat. And then um, there's really cool videos on how to make a, uh, like a misting unit. Basically, you can buy those little pucks that you put in ponds that the hydrosonic misters, uh-huh. they make like that fog coming up, you know, get any kind of receptacle, like uh, use a tote or something and you have uh, the hydrosonic disc in inside there, and then you could put a little computer fan on, uh, you know, on the lid or something, and then pump it uh, with like a pipe into the the little uh, chamber, the grow chamber that you have, and you can do that right in your uh, living room or in, in your room somewhere. And that's so cool. Yeah, and and I mean, it comes with a little light and stuff, and so you just make your oyster mushroom bags with your straw and and just throw them right in, and you'll have perfect humidity in there and control the temperature, get like a little gauge and stuff, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. So if somebody were doing that for themselves and they did that as the you know the small setup that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. what do you think they're if they did it throughout the year as their hobby and a way to add uh, vegan protein into their diet? what do you think their yield would be? So like oyster mushrooms are, are really uh, bioefficient. So, I mean, they could have over 100% of bioefficiency, which means like for every pound of straw and substrate you're using, it's going to produce a pound. At, that's 100% bioefficiency. Wow. It's converting all the mass of its substrate into uh, that of mushrooms. And so depending on how big of a space you, you are, you know, and, and how much kind of weight you're doing, you, you could get pretty close to, you know, what uh, amount of weight of a straw you're putting in there. Interesting. And it sounds like that's one of the most versatile mushrooms as far as substrate, because some mushrooms you really do need one specific substrate. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I suggest oyster mushrooms. If you want to get more into like uh, shiitakes or uh, lion's mane, which is, I'm starting to grow a bunch of lion's mane right now. So I love lion's mane. It's like one of my favorite mushrooms, both like medicinally and then, you know, to eat it as well. And there's all different kind of, you know, subspecies with different flavors. Uh, So finding one that you really like and propagating that, but that you're going to need more of a woody material. So like sawdust and stuff or those pellets I was talking about, but it's a little bit more of a process because, you know, obviously it's, little harder to get a lot of wood chips and stuff. And you want to use hardwoods um, over softwoods. Uh-huh. A lot of those mushrooms, besides shiitake, are, are a little bit harder to grow. They're just a little bit more finicky. And shiitakes take a lot longer for to fruit. So mm-hmm. the oyster mushrooms is such a quick turnover time. I mean, like if you have the right conditions, you could inoculate your straw and it could be like fully done in like, you know, five, seven days. And then Amazing. You could be starting to harvest like, you know, another five to 10 days after that. And then you could get a couple flushes out of each one. So a flush is like each time they put out the fruiting bodies, the mushrooms, and then they'll kind of like need a time to kind of start fruiting again. But you can get like a couple flushes out of each bag. That's awesome. Kind of makes me wonder 
for psilocybin mushrooms, is that also true that you can get a few flushes out of it? Yeah, definitely. You could, uh, for psilocybin, like in the monotub method, like usually like two, two to three flushes. What starts to happen with any situation is like the mycelium is kind of getting weaker. It's not not as uh, as strong to fight off contaminants. So you'll start kind of seeing more contamination. And also the moisture content of like any substrate starts getting used up really quickly. So mm-hmm. it's really important. Uh, the main three factors are going to be your humidity, water content, and, uh, you know, temperature. And uh, light also plays, you know, kind of a role. It depends on the mushrooms. The regular button mushrooms don't really need any light. Yeah. Oyster mushrooms do like light and they do need light to kind of grow. But the main thing for like cubenzies or anything is uh, you're using the light to give the mushroom, they will grow towards the light. And so if you have them in a completely dark environment, they'll be all different shapes and and look really crazy. Gotcha. You have a light source in there, they'll grow towards it, grow straight, basically. Interesting. And is there a mushroom that people can grow that if they don't have a heat source, or is it really important that people have that temperature a certain range? I mean, obviously it can't be too hot, but is there a way for people to grow in a colder situation? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first I would suggest like finding the right species that has the temperature requirements close to your area and time of year. So like right now we're growing uh, this blue oyster mushroom, which likes it a little colder from like 55 to 65 degrees. And then in the summer, we do like du jour, the uh, like pink oyster mushroom and the yellows, which kind of like a little warmer climate. So perfect. they're so easy to grow. You can grow them outside in a greenhouse, in your house. We have 15 acres of property. So we, you know, we have tons of space to grow. I buy like the walk-in coolers. They're a little bit pricey you know, buying used off Craigslist. And that's what I'm fruiting in right now. What do you mean a walk-in cooler? Like a like a commercial walk-in fridge or walk-in Damn. freezer? Wow. And so it they come in like, you know, panels and you just kind of put it together. It's kind of nice because they're, they're mobile and they, you know, they're so efficient in retaining, you know, whatever temperature you need. Wow. They're great to grow in. Containers is another great one, you know, um, but you will, it's better to have like insulation so you're not like heating and cooling all the time. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yeah, using a lot of electricity or energy, you know. I would never have thought of that. Those walk-in coolers, I didn't realize they were I thought they were very 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 expensive. They are, but you if you you know any depending on your area like, you know, I I look on Craigslist and I'm cl- close to San Francisco. I got a 10 by 10 uh walk-in cooler for like I think it was like 3 400 bucks. Amazing. Yeah. And so we could barely, I had to leave the actual cooling unit, which I didn't know worked or not. So I didn't get that. (laughs) I've got some pictures of us trying to fit this whole thing on the truck home. I mean, it was, (laughs) I couldn't believe we did it. So it was. That's so smart. That's like the perfect, I mean, it's completely self contained and insulated. Yeah, absolutely. For a really cheap price. Um, another way you can do if you're doing like a build out for like a room is uh, using the rigid insulation. You know, it's like a, they're just, they come in like four, you know, four by eight panels. Uh-huh. And, uh, you could kind of frame something out it like a, and then use those. Um, and they're basically the same thing that the walk-in cooler is, except for the walk-in coolers has like coated in an aluminum or another mm-hmm. metal. And yeah, a lot easier. They just fit together. And probably for sterilization and whatnot. Yeah, too, definitely. So like, you know, another thing is if you do a setup like that or any, if you're doing a room or 
uh, closets a great one. Um, you know, we we did uh, mono tubs in Hawaii in a closet. We had to you know cut a hole to vent out the air because in Hawaii it was so hot. You know, it would get really hot in there. Another big thing is you do need to do air exchanges because um, the mycelium will be putting out quite a bit of CO two. Mm-hmm. So in your greenhouse, it's a great you know kind of uh, feedback loop to grow mushrooms with your plants because your plants will be producing the oxygen and the mushrooms will be breathing the oxygen and putting out CO2, which the plants will then be taking in. So, you know, I suggest to a lot of people, we live in the Emerald Triangle here, you know, yeah. that have grow rooms, you know, put, put some mushrooms in there. And there's actually a product called MyCO2. Um, that's exactly that. It's just like spawn bags. That's so cool. You could fruit them right in your grow room. Makes perfect sense. Totally. It makes perfect sense from that simple, you know, the plants need the, yeah, they need the CO2 and they put out the oxygen for the mushrooms. But does it also kind of, I mean, it seems like it might also contaminate your mushrooms sometimes or more likely. I mean, usually like a flowering room or something, they'll be, you know, fairly sterile. You you know, you got to really keep out mites and other things, you know, you don't want too much of that. But I mean, in any grill room, you know, I mean, once you start getting into some higher end mushrooms, you want to you be pretty clean. I mean, honestly, I try to go with the perspective that like keeping it as simple as possible and not like overthinking it because the mycelium is going to do its thing as long as you just kind of give it, you know, basic things that it needs is, you know, water, good nutrient source for it to feed off of and, you know, the right kind of temperature range that it likes to grow in. And so if you kind of keep those things as simple as you can, the the idea is your, your mycelium is going to be so strong that it's going to outcompete any contamination or competitors. Yeah. You'll start to see as, as your mycelium gets older, your bags get older, they, they will become more susceptible to contamination. And, you know, it's just part of it. Like you got to deal with contamination like anything, growing plants, whatever, you're going to have diseases and bugs and stuff. So, you know, there is always a a loss factor and uh, you just got to keep the scales tipped in your favor by keeping clean, you know, kind of following certain protocols of sterilization and and, and just general like cleanliness and and you shouldn't have too much of a problem, you know. My goal is that you have been inspired this winter to continue your hobbies and learning, your projects and businesses related to natural farming, hydro or aquaponics, bees and pollinator insects, fungi and mycology, soil and the soil food web, microbes, plants, and however you are involved in entertaining yourself in a way that benefits the earth and our future. I hope you are planning for your pollinator garden right now or have already started planting it. Next episode will be with Douglas Tallamy, best-selling author, discussing his new book, Nature's Best Hope, about extending wildlife habitat into our urban and suburban backyards. Follow this show at Get In My Garden on Instagram to see pictures of what we discuss here and hear about upcoming episodes. Also visit GetInMyGarden.com and make sure to sign up for the email list, which will soon include supplemental and special content for freebies from our guests, as well as articles or other interesting things that I share with my friends. Subscribe to the Get In My Garden podcast wherever you listen from and leave a positive review to support the show. Also, share your favorite interviews on social media or with your friends. 